Uh, it's great to share with you today. And as we continue in our series, Snapshots from the Life of Jesus, as we look today at the Temptations. Now, that's not the 1960s vocal group from Detroit, Michigan, but the Temptations of Jesus from Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, then I'd encourage you to switch them on or turn to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, then please have a chat to me after the service. We would love to to organise one of those for you. Um, The words will also be on the screen when I come to the readings as well. Well, what a day Jesus' baptism must have been. Have you ever had one of those days that you just wish you could bottle in some way, just grab it and, and put the cap on it and just hold it and then every once in a while just unscrew the cap and have a sniff and just remember those days? It might have been perhaps your wedding day. Or your first kiss, when you committed your life to Jesus. Or for you, it might have been the day of your baptism. What a flood of emotions Jesus must have experienced at his baptism. Sometime after the beginning of Jesus' ministry, perhaps prompted by a question from one of the disciples that they asked, Um, as they relaxed after a meal, or maybe as they were um, journeying across the Judean countryside, Jesus takes the disciples back to the events that took place immediately after his baptism, because we know the disciples weren't there with him at the time. Events which, apart from the week leading up to the crucifixion, must have been some of the most intensive times, pressure-packed times, in Jesus' life. Jesus realized that his disciples would not fully comprehend what they're about to hear as they shuffled and positioned themselves to listen. Jesus began to tell his disciples of these events and they are relayed to us in Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus, still figuratively damp from his baptism and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus walks westward away from the crowds and the fertile land um, beside the Jordan River towards the mountains and he follows the track of the sun. There in the mountains, the tempter waited. Ever aware that success now by trapping Jesus in sin, would wield a crushing blow to the Creator. Patiently, he waited like a predator stalking his prey, whispering suggestions to Jesus as the tempter tried to unravel God's plans for salvation. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus went without food, And while the rest of the world was unaware that their future hung in the balance, Jesus was not. Seeing that Jesus was famished, sleep deprived, and on the very brink, the tempter moves in for the kill. With echoes of arrogance and contempt, the devil baits Jesus, poking, provoking, through a careful, choice of words. If, if you are the Son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. 
Now, both Jesus and the devil are fully aware of his identity as the Son of God. Both are also aware that for Jesus to provide food or wine through the miraculous was no sin. He does that elsewhere in his ministry. But the devil seeks to entice Jesus into being self-centered rather than God-centered. As appealing as a belly full of warm, fresh, crusty bread was. Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, responds, People do not live by bread alone. Tempted by the desires of the flesh, Jesus overcomes. The devil immediately recognizes that he's been beaten and so he packs his bags and leaves, never to, never to bother Jesus again. Fat chance. The devil then took Jesus, him up to and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. Jerusalem, Rome, Babylon, Greece, Egypt, the locations went on and on. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil says, because they are mine to give up to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Tempted By all that Jesus could see, Jesus overcomes. Undeterred, the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the Jewish temple, a location symbolic for divine protection. On the wall, as they look out over the Kidron Valley and the floor of the Kidron Valley, some 150 metres below them, once again, baiting Jesus The devil questions in verse 9. If you are the son of God, jump off. This time, the devil justifies his push from Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 8. The scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. Not refuting what the devil was suggesting as being untrue, but because to act that way would be inconsistent with the desires of the Father. Tempted to act with pride, once again, Jesus overcomes. The devil realizes that there's going to be no success on this occasion. And Luke continues, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. The devil leaves, but remains on the lookout for another opportunity, another occasion to try and to sabotage Jesus' mission. Jesus, still hungry, physically, emotionally exhausted but victorious in Matthew and Mark's account of the temptation of Jesus. Jesus is then taken care of 
by the angels. On the doors of the auditorium as you came in, there's a picture that is painted by um, Sandro um, Botticelli, uh, Botticelli uh, on the Sistine Chapel and you might want to have a look at that and there's a description underneath that that gives you a bit of an idea of the different images and the settings of where the different temptations were, were done in, um, and in Sandro's mind. You know, today we can use the Bible as almost like a porthole to travel through time. And as we do, we discover that the devil's methods have not changed. In Genesis chapter 3, in the verses that Paul so kindly read for us earlier, we find Adam and Eve in a perfect world. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Genesis chapter 3 as I read verses 1 to 13. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, now that whole if thing, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the uh, trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the tree from uh, the... Uh, It's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it. And then she goes into a little bit of exaggeration or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open and as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard God, the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you? that you were naked? The Lord God asked, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And then the blame game starts. The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Notice the pattern. Flesh eyes, pride. The temptation of Jesus for the flesh was about food, having that hot, nice bread. For the eyes showed Jesus the world and all its glories, all its riches, and all of that could have been Jesus. Pride, just jump. Come on. What are you, chicken? Go on, do it. For Adam and Eve, food, the fruit, it looked good. It 
looked delicious. Pride, that they would be wise like God. And the Bible almost ends with the same method being used by the devil. I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and see if you pick up the pattern in these verses as well. 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16 says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for the things that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And so the pattern of temptation continues. The desire, flesh, for Jesus, food. For Adam and Eve, food. In 1 John, this physical pleasure. The desire of the eyes, show Jesus the world. For Adam and Eve, the, the fruit looked good. And 1 John, the, the cravings for everything that we see. And pride, jump. Come on, Jesus, jump. For Adam and Eve, they wanted to be prideful. They wanted to have wisdom like God. And in 1 John, pride in the stuff of life, our achievements, our possessions. It's funny how people complain that following God is all about rules and all the things that you can't do. In my observation, my experience, the heart of God is all about creating the opportunities for us to have the best life possible. John 10, 10 puts it like this. The thief's purpose, the devil's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus' purpose is to give them rich, uh, a rich and satisfying life. Life to the full. Now consider it this way. If I was to declare that I don't like road rules, they hold me back from, from living the way I want to live, from, from driving the way that I want to drive. And so I'm just going to drive whatever way I like. Now, Mary might suggest I already do that, but I don't. Um, sure, I might think it gives me freedom until I lose my license or until ambition overtakes adhesion and I slide off the road and crash and I ride off my car. When that happens, if I lose my license, if I lose my car, do I have more or less opportunity in life? Do I have more of a full life or less of a full life? I have less. The guidelines, the rules, the things that are there are there to help, not to hinder. The values of the kingdom of God are not there to stop us from having fun. But they're there to help us and others to have the best life possible. A rich and a satisfying life. About two decades ago, Mary and I were at a Christmas carols event on the Sunshine Coast when our niece of about three years of age came up to us and was adamant that she wanted something and she wanted it now. I responded by telling Jacqueline that this was a great opportunity. Remember that she's about three. That this was a great opportunity for her to learn about delayed 
gratification. I asked her, so Jacqueline, do you know what delayed gratification means? And she responded, I have to wait. Yep, even a three-year-old knew about that. Studies have shown that children who are able to resist being tempted do better in life. Study now, play later. Soon becomes study now, which will pay off later. Tough to do when your friends are out having so-called fun. When they're out getting drunk, when they're out going to parties, um, sleeping around, fudging on tax returns. We can go down the same road and give in to temptation and we lose our freedom. Or we can follow Jesus' example. Consider what the writer of Hebrews has to say about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18, and Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this. Therefore, it was necessary for him, being Jesus, to be made in every aspect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing or temptation, he is able to help when we are being tested. And then later on in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16, we read this. So then since we have such a great, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us fir hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God wants you and I to have the very best life possible. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole point of this message is simply this, that if we want to have the best life possible, then it will involve fighting against temptation. At times, it will involve uh, the challenge of resisting the short term now for the longer term good, the not yet that is to come. Or even more subtly, Resisting the good, which can at times be the enemy of the best. Temptations are always going to come and they don't get any easier with age. But if we understand the pattern of the devil, the evil one that, that the evil one uses to try and trip us up, then that can help us in our resistance of temptation. You think about most temptations that you experience and my guess is that you will find that they will fit into one of those three categories. Eyes, flesh, pride. Things that you see, things that you desire, things that you want or things that you can be, do, get ahead. Whatever you do, don't believe the lies. You are not alone in this. If we are going to try and overcome temptation, then doesn't it make sense to ask for help from someone who has already overcome it? Jesus, the Son of God, is that person and he is only a prayer away.
Let me pray. Jesus, we recognize that even in your temptation, that you did not sin. And we recognize that for us to be tempted is not a sin. We recognize that each one of us gets tempted in different ways. There's the different baits that Satan wants to put out there, that the devil wants to put before us to trip us up, to have us fall over and then not want to get up. Jesus, as you who have uh, overcome temptation, would you also help us now with grace, with support for those areas in our life that we find that whether it's just a one-off or whether it's a habit that we can easily fall back into, that you would help us in our times of weakness. When we're tired, when we're grumpy, when we're frustrated, that we won't give in to temptation, but that we'll call out to you. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, I want you to list all your temptations, write it down on the... No, no, it's not that. But sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes it can be worthwhile just saying, okay, God, what are the areas that I find that um, Satan can really have a, have a good go at me in? And I want to commit those to you. But today I want us to respond and I encourage you to think about um, the areas where you have already experienced God's grace in your life, his forgiveness, his love, his help. Thank God for the grace that you've experienced in your life. But also, if you wanted to write a prayer of response, then invite the Holy Spirit to bring you an extra measure of grace and help in your life as you seek to resist areas of temptation. You don't have to go into details of what those temptations are. If you do want to talk to someone after the service about an area that you're struggling with, then please have a chat to me. I'm happy to sit down in the front of the, the, um, the uh, auditorium here for a little bit and, and have a chat to you. But as some music's played now, I invite you to respond to the things that God's laying on your heart and respond as God is leading you today. God bless you.